Welcome everyone to the Happy Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Carrie Jack, lifestyle entrepreneur, professional model slash actor, biohacker, and eco-warrior striving to make a positive impact on this planet. My goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain you while reminding you to enjoy the journey, not just the destination, as you happy hustle for a life of passion and purpose. I am so grateful and humbled to be spending some time together today. Now let's dive in. What is up, you beautiful happy hustlers out there? Terry Jack here, and I hope you are having a super blessed day. Really just enjoying this very moment right here and right now. And in this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast, we have on Mr. Itamar Marani, and he is a true badass, happy hustling entrepreneur. He is ex-Israeli Special Forces, former undercover agent. He was mentored by the head of psychology of the Israeli Mossad, which is basically like their version of the CIA and the FBI. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, was ranked top 10 in the world at amateur level. And he's a mindset coach to eight and nine figure entrepreneurs. And in this episode, we talk all about emotional fortitude. We talk about the three core fears that hold people back and how you can release them so you can just skyrocket forward. And we also talk about the motivation fallacy, which is very, very interesting work. He talks about how. If you do your best to release the resistance in your life rather than force more motivation, you will actually increase the action in your reality, thus making your life better because you are taking more action towards your dreams, your goals, your desires. And he works with these very prominent entrepreneurs, helping them really get inside the mindset of what is holding them back and how they can release that resistance to them just propel forward. This was a very interesting conversation. I really, really hope that you stick around all the way to the end because it gets very juicy towards the end. He actually talks about how he was almost abducted by Al-Qaeda, the terror group, while he was in India. And he has some very interesting stories from working with billionaires to eight and nine-figure CEOs and entrepreneurs and how you can actually apply his knowledge to increase the overall quality of your life, but also the motivation that you feel every single day. And it's just a really great combo. So I enjoyed it. I hope you guys check out itamarmarani.com forward slash happy hustle. He's got a bunch of free stuff there, resources um, for you guys. An awesome mini course that I actually went through and got a ton of value from. And then if you want, you can apply to potentially work with him and join his um, program. So after a quick episode sponsor break, we're going to be diving in. But I do have an ask. If you just please just share this with one person, that's how we continue to spread the show. And that's how we continue to help more and more people. So if you get any value, share this with one person. That's my ask. Now, regardless, I hope you have an amazing time listening to this one. I know I had a great time recording it. Without further ado, after a quick episode of Sponsor Break, we're going to be diving into this one with Itamar Marani. Hey, 
Hey, y'all. I got to say, it's hard to overstate how important magnesium is for all aspects of our health while we're happy hustling a life that we love. I mean, right now, a lot of industry experts and authorities and doctors from Dr. Mark Hyman to Mr. Andrew Huberman and all these other really leading experts are talking about the importance of magnesium. But the truth is, studies show three out of every four individuals are actually deficient in magnesium. And I'll tell you, this is part of my staple routine to take magnesium every single day because it helps optimize my well-being. It helps reduce the stress levels, improve, improve sleep and my energy levels. Not to mention, it is really good for just overall health. But I'll tell you, normally, I'm a big advocate for getting as many of our nutrients as I can through a well-balanced diet. It's just unfortunate that our food can't provide these nutrients alone because our soil is so overworked and mineral depleted. It's actually lacking organic matter, which helps plants get the minerals from the soil. And I actually read somewhere that if 10 years ago we needed to eat one orange, now we would need to eat 10 oranges to get that same amount of nutrients. So it's just not possible to get the amount of nutrients and vitamins and minerals from our food as it once was. So that's why I take magnesium breakthrough and you guys being happy hustlers, get the hookup. You can go to magnesiumbreakthrough.com forward slash hustle right now to save 10% off. And I'll tell you, the best part is it comes with a money back guarantee. So you have 365 days to get your money back if you don't like it for whatever reason. So go to magnesiumbreakthrough.com forward slash hustle now and get the hookup. Now let's get back to this episode. All right, Itamar Marani, welcome to the happiest podcast, my man. I am super excited to rock the mic with you. Likewise, man. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, this is going to be a fun one. I mean, I got to say, you are a badass. You got a lot going on. You are a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, ex-Israeli special forces. You were trained by the head of psychology from the Mossad, which is basically like the Israelis version of the FBI and CIA. And you're a mindset mentor to eight and nine-figure entrepreneurs. And I'm really excited to extract some of this wisdom from you regarding our mindset and what might be holding back the happy hustlers from achieving their dream reality. So let's get into all that good stuff after we first find out what is something interesting about yourself that not too many people know. Yeah. So you gave me this prompt a little bit just before the show and I had to think about yeah. it. So I think the thing that's interesting that most people don't know is that for a year out of my life, I lived on one of the 10 biggest private mega yachts on the planet. So this was a half billion dollar boat. And I lived on that for about a year out of my life. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that that's pretty awesome. I got to say, you probably were living the dream, like eating fine dining and, uh, you know, traveling so the much. world. No, not so much. So I was there on a job. So I was the head of security uh, of a billionaire. That's why I got recruited to be there. And it was his mega yacht. And while I did definitely get to travel a ton of the world, flying the private jet, and he was very gracious where he would let me, he would invite me to eat at his table in a lot of the fanciest restaurants in the world. I was still on the job. So yeah. I still had to get focused, stay focused and do the right thing. That's true. Yeah. What What was your favorite part that uh, of the world that you visited? So I guess the way I look at it, my favorite park part was the part that 
I learned the most from. Mm. So there were a lot of places that were just fun and enjoyable and it's cool. I got to tick that off the map that I saw this place or that place. But the place that actually stayed with me, left the biggest imprint on me was St. Bart's. Mm. St. Bart's is an island in the Caribbean where most of the billionaires go there in Christmas to show off their mega yachts and basically see who has a bigger mega yacht. <laughs> and, and that's kind of that. And what was telling to me, if I may, was that St. Bart's is, connect, is a small island and next to it is St. Martin, which is a bigger island. Mm. And St. Martin is where, let's say, upper middle class people go on vacation and St. Bart's is where billionaires go. Mm. And for me, in order to catch a flight back from St. Bart's to where I was living back in the day, I had to go through St. Martin Connect there. And it was interesting because I was in the private airport in St. Bart's and they came on a tiny plane to go back to the main airport in St. Martin. And there were a lot of people there. They were dressed in their all white linen and the women in their diamonds and all that kind of jazz. And it was nice. And then as soon as I landed in St. Martin, it was blindingly visible how happy people were. And it was so interesting that, oh, in St. Bart's, all these wealthy people were so unhappy. Mm. But in St. Martin, everybody was there was so appreciative and grateful the fact they just could have a beautiful vacation. And I, I just never forgot that feeling of how it, it was just shocking at yeah. the disparity. Yeah. And that was, for me, that was the most interesting lesson there. Wow. Which that ties into this whole concept of money doesn't buy happiness, right? And yeah. you saw it firsthand. And I see it with a lot of my higher profile, very successful, quote unquote, friends who have financial abundance, but they lack fulfillment and true joy. What would you say are the key factors to happiness in, in your perspective? It's a great question. So I'll break it down to two things. First off, what I see that can negate happiness is optimizing for something other than that. So for example, mm. those people were billionaires because they spent their whole life optimizing just to make more money. Mm. And obviously that's going to give you a higher likelihood of achieving a lot of money. But all of a sudden they get to the age where they're 50, 60, and they're a white belt at being able to appreciate or enjoy anything. They're a black belt at being paranoid because as Andy Grove said, the paranoid survive. Ah. So that's one thing. Another thing I think is if you have a lot of internal baggage you're carrying around, the money isn't going to resolve that. If you're afraid that you're not good enough or that you have these insecurities, you trying to work around them, but just hoping that enough money will stuff them out. Like that's not a solution that I've seen work. And mm. I think that's that whole people talk about that moving goalpost because you're just trying to kick the wrong goalpost. Like the money isn't going to solve the fact that you're afraid you're not a good enough husband or wife and your spouse doesn't care for you. Money isn't yeah. going to resolve that, but it is tangible. So people chase it. Mm. Yeah. Wise words. I would say, you know, this, this concept of more equals better, I think also oftentimes limits happiness. It, it puts a, yeah. uh, it puts, like you said, the moving goal close at play where you achieve one goal and you barely even celebrate it and you work so hard to get there, but then you're just on to the next one. And I think a lot of people out there are driven, you know, type a hard chargers, high, high performers. I know you work with these people, you know, one-on-one -on -one and in your, in your um, arena, which we'll get into what that, what that's all about. Cause that's very, um, it's a very cool offering that you, that you have. But it's something that I've even noticed in my own life. You know, when I burnt out, I was so focused on the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, work hard, you know, ego, profit, success. 
all the things that society deems important, you know, and look, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not saying I do, but I have figured out, okay, balance really does equal happiness for me. Like I, I like believe that wholeheartedly for you. I'm curious when you talk about some of these things, these insecurities, these fears, the stuff that holds us back. I know you're big into emotional fortitude. You have a system. I'm looking at some of my notes because you have a system that I wanted to get into that as actually a five-step simple system to actually break down this emotional fortitude. Can we dive in? Can you, can you hit us with those five steps? Please. Or- uh, I'd be happy to. So beyond the five steps, just kind of give a background. Yeah. My whole philosophy is that I think a lot of people try to achieve something by trying to press harder on the gas pedal. Mm. And that's where I thought a lot of times they're burning. They're spending so much energy, but the reality is there's a fault in the system. Basically, they're trying to press really hard with the handbrake still being up. Mm. And my whole thesis is I think it's much more sustainable, both for performance sake and for happiness sake. If you don't have to go so hard against yeah. yourself by putting the handbrake down. And that's what I call the emotional fortitude aspect. The first thing you got to get, you got to understand about that is to figure out what is my handbrake? Mm-hmm. I think the moment we can all know our main insecurities, it's very powerful because all of a sudden they don't just blindside us and yep. steer us in the wrong direction without us knowing. So I think first off, it's awareness. You have to yep. be aware of what's going on. Second of all, you have to falsify it. Like I'm not a big fan of the whole terms, positive beliefs, negative beliefs, limiting beliefs. I think once people try to do those kind of things and search for their own positive or limiting or negative, they're only looking at what they're actually aware of. Oh, I'm aware that I have this limiting belief. But instead of that, if you just try to flush out, what is my entire belief structure of how I think the world works? Mm. That's when something really interesting can be found out. And that's the blind spot. So first off, I think it's really important to search for our own blind spots. That's what really helped me in the past. So first off, that awareness, then the falsifying it, saying, forget about this positive negative. Is this a belief that I hold or is this an actual fact? Because most of the time, our beliefs, they're not true. They're just because of an experience that we've had in the past that then we've made a broad assumption that this is how the world works. And because we have a belief that if we do this thing, it's going to cause us some kind of pain or some kind of harm then we avoid the thing. And we don't recognize, oh, that was just in that context. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And I, I already think of like my own examples. So I hope everyone out there, all the happy us listening and watching, like are like taking this in and, and just applying it to your own reality right now. So yeah, those are amazing. So we got the awareness, then the falsifying of it, of those myths, those worldviews. What's the next piece? The next piece is understanding where is it holding you back specifically? So where are you trying to, where do usually what people, what happens is that people create this technical complexity to avoid an emotional difficult thing in their path. So -hmm. they know I want to get from point A to to point B. The simplest thing to do is just go into direct line. But all of a sudden they recognize halfway during that, oh, I'm about to do this thing, but I think it has this emotional weight attached to it. So let me do something else. Let me overcomplicate things. And let me then... So first I was understanding, where does that really hit you? Where's that getting in your way? And then like, honestly, it's a big part of it. I don't want to go into four step and five and all that, because I think that on a high level, it's just understanding that's going to be there. And that's where most people, they forget, like you're going to have some emotional discomfort along the way. Yeah. But if you're going to understand what that emotional discomfort is and if it's valid or not, or if it's just a part of like you having a feeling, because we just have feelings and that's okay. 
and then have the willingness to go through it. That's the main thing. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, when I think about the insecurities, the self-limiting beliefs, maybe the, I know that's not your favorite term, but like for, I, I got to yeah. practice to change it now because you, you make some really great points around it. Um, but the, the drivers, will you, like you, you have this action equation that I think is really relevant when, when I, when I read your work and I saw, okay, this is something that actually makes a ton of sense. You're talking about the handbrake, you know, slowing yourself down with this resistance. And a lot of people, they, they just try to push harder. It's like the old adage where it's like, okay, you have this Ferrari and you're, you're putting premium fuel in the Ferrari because you want it to run and perform at its peak but you have holes in your gas tank, <laughs> you know, and it's like, uh, obviously it's not going to perform at its peak if you don't plug the holes and fix what's leaking, you know? And so I yeah. think of that when I, when I think of the action equation, can you share the action equation with the happy hustlers? Happy to. Can I share kind of the story of how I came to yeah. understand it? Yeah, please. So my story, like you said, I was drafted into the Israeli special forces and I was drafted into literally the most elite unit in the whole military. So they were out of the whole people that got recruited that year, there were 12 out of us. And it's a 20 months training period until you actually qualified as an operator. Wow. And between months four to six, it's the most intense part. It's called advanced unit boot camp, which is kind of like an eight week hell week. It's very unpleasant. You're sleep deprived, <laughs> you're underfed, your whole body is just literally falling apart. Your skin's falling off in various parts of your body because it's just so hard. And what happened to us was at the very last week of advanced unit boot camp, the very last day, it started to rain really hard. And when that happened, the officer came into our tent with a big smile on and said, guys, get your gear on. We're going to go have some fun. And what that meant was we're going to go on one of the runs. And we never knew how long these runs would go for. Sometimes they would be one hour. Sometimes they would be the whole night. And we were never also allowed to look at our watches or ask any questions. And it was Jeez. good times, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> Unpleasant and, is like the, the most gentle term you could have used to describe yeah. that experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, like, and for me, it was especially unpleasant. So while I did do well in other aspects, like leadership and Krav Maga, the long runs weren't my forte. And at a certain point there, I started to fall back. And when I started to fall back, the officer came back to me. He's like, Itamar, are you right? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. He's like, you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm good. He's like, Itamar, take a rest for a second, step on the truck, catch your breath, and then rejoin us. I was like, no, no, it's okay. He's like, Itamar, take a step, like take a step back, go sit on the truck, catch your breath, and then join us. And in a tired haze, I said, okay, I'll take a rest for a second. And as soon as I sat on the truck, I got kicked out of the unit. I didn't have to ring a ceremonial bell or anything or sign off. They basically took me back to base and then told me, we're kicking you out for self-secession. You seceded to the weakness in your mind. You're not fit to be here. And as an 18-year-old, that's a very hard thing to accept. And it was true, but it was still a very scarring thing for me. Yeah. Like to basically how you said like status and all that, that all the status that I told like my friends and family back home, I got drafted into this elite unit was swatted away. And what I did get, then like I told you, like I bounced into a different special forces unit, not as elite, but still a good one. I had to deal with that. And what was weird for me is that when I would go into, after the military, after the agency, when I went to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I would do really, really well in the local level and the national level, and also at the world championship level, every time until the quarterfinals. Every time I would smash my matches, I would destroy people, it would be green shots, and I'd just be at my best. And then every time at the quarterfinals, I would choke. Every time. Mm. 
I would tense up and I would freeze. Why? Because I didn't recognize this at the time. I was not aware of it, but I had this voice in my head telling me, if you win the quarterfinals, that means you automatically medal at the world championships. Maybe the first Israeli to ever do so. So if you do that, there's no way you're soft anymore. And you can finally let go of that insecurity. Mm. And because that puts so much weight on me that I wasn't aware of, it would cause me to tense up. Mm. And it caused me to dip into the wrong area of that performance pressure bell curve, where the pressure was just too much and my performance suffered. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that that's what's going on. Like, and for me, I was so motivated. I would lose at the world at 4 p.m. And then at 8 p.m., I would find somewhere in that area to train more. But no matter how, how motivated I was, when I got to that apex level of pressure, of really trying to perform at my best, it would hold me back, regardless of the motivation. And I think the motivation fallacy, what you're saying, it's very tempting. It's very alluring because it would be much nicer if we could just get really motivated and achieve whatever we want. We could jump up, get excited. That'd be awesome. That feels great. Yeah. But it's really hard to actually look within and say, you know what, especially as like, let's say an A-type individual is a man. I have an insecurity here. I think I'm soft. And it's hard for me to admit that. But I recognize that this insecurity is also causing me to mess up. And that for me was an extremely challenging thing, a reality to face. That I can't keep getting myself motivated, but I have to face this. And the whole action equation is that most people, when they feel like they're stuck, they try to get motivated. Why? Because they feel that the level of action will be dictated by the level of drive they're facing minus the level of resistance they have. Mm-hmm. So instead of facing the resistance, they say, you know what, let me get more motivated. And it's also honestly very tempting because we remember all the time when we just got started, let's say in entrepreneurship, where we had to pay the bills. We had to make something work. So we made it work regardless yeah. of our insecurities or self-doubt, whatever. Kind of like that example of a mother lifting a car off her kid. But like we've all been there that it doesn't work for a long time. Like when we plateau again, yes, you can read the book, you can get motivated, you can realign with your why, you can wake up at 4 a.m. and go harder. But that stuff, it gives you a boost, but usually it fades. Yep. And that's why I feel that for me, what I've experienced for myself and what I've seen a lot of other people, that hacking at that other part of the equation, instead of trying to up your motivation to reduce the internal resistance you're facing, it creates a much more sustainable environment. Because you're not trying to rev harder against the handbrake that's up. You're just putting that handbrake down. So while it is much more difficult in the short term, it actually creates a longer term impact. Does yeah. that make sense? For sure, man. I mean, whew, that, and, and I just want to clarify, like that action equation, you talk about desire slash motivation. You could call it what it would, you yeah. know, either or let's call it motivation minus resistance equals action. So very simply, you know, your motivation right now, everyone out there watching and listening is being hindered by your resistance, which is decreasing your positive action or negative action. You know, either one, it maybe is increasing your negative action. So you have to think about what is that resistance and, and what can you do to eliminate that resistance to increase thus your action? And for you, man, gosh, I'll, and I got to say this, like, I love Krav Maga. I, I, I trained here with, um, I when I was living in Florida, I would train with um, um, a guy named Philippe Glickman. I don't know if you know him, but he he was a, an operator in IDF yes. and trained and, you know, badass dude. And, you know, 
I, I listened to you say like you had this insecurity of being soft. And I'm like, oh, man, if if Edomar is soft, I'm butter. You know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> and I don't think I'm soft either. But I just think like, gosh, if that was your resistance, you know, and, and that's the kind of weird thing that I want to highlight is we all have these internal yeah. resistance that are, maybe are like so far from the truth. But yet they still hold us back. So I'm curious how can the happy hustlers out there right now like actually identify the resistance that they may be facing? So first of all, I think what you said, it's so well put. It's just understanding that how we feel sometimes isn't true. Like feelings are in fact. Mm. And most people, I th for me, what it was, I just assumed that this is how I feel. This is how the world is. This is what's true. So first off, it's recognizing that that might not be true. Just because you feel a certain <laughs> way, whether it's about yeah. yourself, a situation, whatever it may be, that might be just a belief you hold. Now, the way I like to go about this is literally to flush out someone's belief system. So the first thing we do is figure out, okay, let's look at your beliefs, how you think about the world. So for example, let's say an area you're struggling with or something that you feel a lot of resistance around. Let's fill in the blank that in order to achieve this, I have to do that. Mm. If I do this thing, then that will mean. Mm -hmm. Or people are. In order to, unless then, you use these kind of formulas and you break it down, all of a sudden you pro you use these prompts and people recognize like, oh, wow, I thought that in order to make a lot of money, I have to compromise on my values and integrity. Why? Because I saw that my best friend's father growing up in second grade, he made a lot of money, but he was an unethical individual. And all of a sudden I made that assumption. I never realized that. Hmm. I thought that if I put myself out there, then people will make fun of me. Why? Because in second grade, I was told to come up for show and tell. And I showed my thing and the kids in class laughed at me. Yep. So I just assumed that now for the rest of my life, if I ever put myself out there, then people will make fun of me. Mm -hmm. So using these kind of prompts, and you said like before you did that in the course that I had, yeah. that's, that's the whole point of them is to flush out your subconscious and see what are these belief structures that I hold? Yep. Because once we can figure that out, we can say, are these true or not? Are they valid or not? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those prompts, like, they really helped me. Like, I actually went through it. And, you know, I was just doing research to to better prep for this interview. But I was like, oh, this is actually really helpful. <laughs> we got to we got to actually share this with the happy hustlers. If people want to go through that micro course, can you maybe tell them the best place to, um, you know, check it out? Sure, let's let's do this. Go to edomarmorani.com slash happy hustler and we'll make sure it's all available there and it's free and everybody can okay. get it. Yeah. 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 Cause that that is something I, I really I know is valuable for not only myself, but anyone who is looking to achieve, you know, more in their life. And not not saying more is always better, but you know, oftentimes if you are being truthful with the person you see reflecting back in you in the mirror, you know, you're, you could potentially have more of a positive impact and really, you know, I think these kind of prompts that you created help identify that resistance better than just about any self quantifying assessment that I've been through. And I don't sure. say that lightly, you know, I've been through a bunch of self-quantification and assessments. And, you know, there's something to be said about working directly one-on-one -on -one with someone who can like dig deeper and probe. And that's where you come in, which I want to talk about too. But like, 
there's just like for a self-quantifying assessment to really find out some of those limiting beliefs and like then assess further is this actually true that's how we can make real progress and you know i think for you you know some of the stuff that you talk about um these worldviews when when we're yeah. identifying our worldviews i thought this was interesting you know you talked about like the worldviews that might even hold you back explain that a little further for all the happy hustlers too okay so let's put it this way the way i like to think about it there's two kinds of main beliefs just for clarity's sake there's more blah 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 but just to make things simple and easy for people to follow along yep so there's worldviews these are things that apply to everything and anything and how you view the world so they apply all across the board board and on a scale of one to ten they have let's say a level three impact so this is for example i think people are selfish no matter who I meet in what circumstance, I'm going to think this person is probably selfish. Yeah. Or people are self-interested, whatever it may be. Those are worldviews. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Apologies for interrupting your programming. But I have to tell you, the best investment you can make in yourself is one in which helps you acquires skills. You've probably heard people talk about Oh, just invest in yourself and you'll be successful. Yes, that's true to a degree, but you have to invest in skills that will ultimately help you achieve your desired results. And I think one of the best skills one can possess, be it an entrepreneur or an aspiring entrepreneur, is the sales sword. Really knowing how to sell, utilizing pressure-free persuasion, which will make you more money and more impact. Now, if you want to know how to sell more efficiently and effectively, I just launched a sales course called The Proven Roadmap Process to Selling Millions of Dollars and Helping You to Increase Your Conversions Guaranteed. And you can get access to this new sales course that The Happy Hustle is launching at thehappyhustle.com forward slash sales. And if you act fast, you'll get it at the lowest price it'll ever be available because we are launching it and we want to gain amazing testimonials and social proof to further share this knowledge. So if you act fast, you can get it at the lowest price it'll ever be. That's at thehappyhustle.com forward slash sales. Now let's get back to this episode. Now, on top of that, we also have consequential beliefs that these are the formulas that if then, unless then, or if I do, it will mean whatever it may be. And it's just a way these worldviews understand this is kind of how I think about the world. And this is my, my lens, so to speak. These are the lenses I'm seeing the world through. And it's a tint that it's always there. And I think it's really important to know that because first off, you need to know that if this is the lens you're seeing the world through, you might have to overcompensate for that. And this is what I mean by that. So if someone's generally overly optimistic or overly pessimistic and they're not aware of it, it's dangerous because yeah. you're going to make incorrect decisions. Likewise, it's the same thing. If I know that I, me personally, because of my background in the agency, like I had a lot of PTSD after I had a, I had a very close call with Al Qaeda and I had a mm. lot of PTSD and it caused me not to trust people. Mm. So I know that whenever something flares, I'm like, I don't trust that person. And they say, wait. This is my emotional thing. This is because I believe most people can cause me harm. This isn't true, though. So I can't just go off that base assumption because I know my base assumptions in that, in that field are not true. And that's why I think these things, it's really important. If you don't know what your main insecurities are, where your emotional pulls are, it's going to wreck with you. 
Yeah. It's going to take you in the wrong direction. Yeah. I, it, you know, it's almost like your default lens in which you see your, your current everyday reality. And I think a lot of us, we get so caught up in our little bubbles, you know, where we think our problems are so massive. When you look out like a 30,000 foot viewpoint of really what's happening in the world and is this actual sale that didn't go through that big a deal? Is this, you know, yeah. fact that I lost the, the quarterfinals in my tournament really going to, you know, affect like my overall grand scheme of life. Like I think having that perspective grounded in reality and also knowing those worldviews in which you are seeing that reality can really help you operate with, with more peace at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And that's really, I think for me, as I, as I age, right. Uh, you know, which is still not that old, but I see, like, I want peace more than almost just anything like, yeah. you know, and I know you talked about Carl Jung's quote, right yeah. when tell, say that quote as well because i think that's a really powerful quote that until you make the unconscious conscious it will direct your life and you'll call it fate hmm. and that's what he said about those blind spots if you don't know what's going on with you emotionally you're going to think this is how the world is but it's not it's just how you live inside the world yeah and this is you know this is a heady topic like i hope that all the happy hustlers are tracking because you know, if not, like rewind and actually like listen in because this stuff, if you are assimilating it and actually, you know, allowing it to be your new, you know, beacon of of truth, it, it can positively shape your tomorrow and, and then on further. I am, you know, very interested in how you apply this to business. And I know you specifically work with business owners, with founders, with CEOs, with high performers. When you are doing an assessment for these individuals, these high performers, what is the, if you can, you know, put it into maybe one, yeah. one big mistake that you see, like, like the thing that these individuals that is pretty common across the board when it comes to self, you know, um, yeah. resistance, will you? So the main thing I try to make sure they're not doing is creating some kind of technical complexity to avoid something that's emotionally difficult for them, if it, especially if it doesn't need to be. Mm. So here's what I mean by that. All the guys that I work with, they already have a skill set. They already have the character traits. They're disciplined. They're hardworking. They have integrity. And they also even know most of them how to view like things in the correct manner. Like, oh, this is an opportunity. It's a challenge. It's an opportunity. However, for example, what you said about the sales, that's a classic example that someone will know they should make the sales calls, do the outreach, but they've ascribed so much emotional weight to it because they don't think about it in the terms of this is sales. This is something that I'm trying to sell a product for my business. Instead of thing, I have a possible, uh, I have a possibility here to be rejected. Yeah. And if as a primal human being, I'm rejected by my tribe and we're hundred thousand years ago in the Savannah, I am going to die. And unless we're aware of that, that's where people go to those emotional extremes. It's like the main thing I try to help the guys and girls understand is that you're driven by certain core fears that were hyper relevant 100,000 years ago because they helped us survive. Yeah. But these days, they actually hold us back. And Facts. Like, yeah, and what you were saying, that's the main thing. Like Those three core fears, 
that's usually what stops people from being able to take the simple direction going from A to exactly point B. And instead they go in these squiggly lines because they start and then, oh, I feel a feeling. I'm a bit scared. I'm a bit nervous. I have a bit of self-doubt. Oh, this thing is so challenging for me. Then I do something else and overcomplicate things. So I can't have the tough conversations that I need to have. I can't do the big, courageous things that I need to do. And I kind of stay with what's comfortable and appease people or whatever it may be. So my main thesis is like, how can we help people not do that? Not act in ways that don't actually serve them just because their emotions get the better of it. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that is some powerful stuff. I mean, the fears that are holding us back and, and you... Like, I want to talk about it in terms of my own perspective and be vulnerable. I know that's a big piece to, to your work. Like, I think one of the things that's held me back to really achieving the desired results um, that I crave is the shiny object syndrome. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs could probably relate where it's like, oh, you get going on this. and Oh, what's this over there? Oh, squirrel brain. I'm over here now. You know what? I could do this. And like probably you've dealt with this before in some some clients correct me if i'm wrong but yeah. um this is something that i think it it can be masked as a positive but at its core it's a negative because you don't have the focus you don't have the discipline or you get distracted by something that might maybe looks a little bit more enticing than actually putting your head down and, and getting her done and doing the work. What's your yeah. thoughts on the shiny object syndrome and how to actually combat it? So there's a bunch of things here. It's a very interesting question. First of all, and I appreciate your vulnerability on this. So one thing, again, just from my approach, what I like to look at it is sometimes the shiny object syndrome is just a manifestation of us not feeling confident in our abilities to execute something. Mm -hmm. So we hope we find the external perfect thing that'll be good enough that it can compensate for where we lack. Because we're a six out of 10, but this is a 10 out of 10 opportunity. So that'll make it up for us. And I think that's the main thing to recognize. Am I looking for a shiny object? Because I think I might not be able to pull this opportunity off. Because I'm not confident enough in myself. Like one of the three core fears is a fear of worthlessness. That we don't feel we're good enough. And because we don't feel we're good enough, that a lot of time leads to perfectionism or shiny object syndrome. Perfectionism because... I'm not good enough, but if I do this thing perfect, it'll seem good enough to others. And then people will like me. The tribe will accept me. Yeah. Or the shiny object, I'm not good enough, but maybe this is, it'd be such a good and easy opportunity that I can actually pull it off and then I'll succeed. And I think it's worth asking when we feel that shiny object, is this actually a better opportunity or is this trying to give me an emotional sense of comfort that I can do this? Because mm. if it's the latter, that's what we got to watch out for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the fear of worthlessness. Like, I think that's something that a lot of people wrestle with, you know, am I worth this or am I worth this level of success or, you know, whatever the self-worth conversation is inside someone's head. What are the other two fears that you, that you referenced? Yeah. So the first fear is a fear of uncertainty or fear of powerlessness which again, made sense that 100,000 years ago, you had to control your environment down to a T. Or if you walk the wrong way to the watering hole, you get eaten. Yeah. So the way that comes across now is when people feel this sense of like, if I can't control it, I don't want to go. Mm. If I don't have the power of the whole situation, we're not moving. So this a lot of times comes to people being the bottleneck or to micromanaging 
or being called a control freak. And this is where a lot of people say, I feel this analysis paralysis. It's not that logically you don't know what the correct action is. You probably have enough information, but you don't have this emotional sense of complete assurance mm. that you're going to be safer and this is going to be correct for you. That's the fear of powerlessness or uncertainty. The third fear that we talked about, the fear of worthlessness, this who am I too? I'm not good enough. That's the one that also creates a lot of imposter syndrome. The third fear is the fear of abandonment. And this mm. is the one whenever I talk, I give big speeches, like nobody wants to look up and nobody likes to pretend <laughs> they haven't, but we all do, present party yeah. included, we all do. And yeah. this is that whole, what if he or she or they leave me? Yeah. Or what will they think if I do this or that? Yeah. And the most interesting thing with this, with this fear of abandonment, that a lot of times we don't even know who this he or she or they are. It's not we specifically think, oh, Jeff or Carrie or John, they're going to think this of me. It's just this ominous fear of the tribe that really deters us. And sometimes creates a fear of failure because we're afraid to fail because then people will abandon me. Or what's also interesting is sometimes creates a fear of success. Because what if I surpass my friends or my father mm. or my mother or whatever it may be and people hold themselves back? Yeah. And like what you were saying about like, what do I try to do with the clients? The real issue with all these fears with this fear of powerlessness, worthiness, and abandonment, is not that we feel them. It's that in an effort to avoid feeling them, we abandon what we really want. Like how you said, the lifestyle, the, the success, the achievement, whatever it may be. Like we abandon our dreams and wants because what if I get abandoned along the way? We abandon a new business idea because what if I can't control everything? How will that feel? Am I going to be in danger? And we abandon even going after that big new thing that we want because am I good enough? Do I deserve it? Mm. Am I worth it? Yeah. Wow. So you have the fear of uncertainty, the fear of worthlessness, and then the fear of abandonment. And do you see with your clients, like most people having a little bit of each of these, or is there typically yes. one that's dominant? I think from I have not yet seen anybody who doesn't exhibit all three of them, at least on some level. Usually there's uh. one that's more dominant. For me, it's the fear of worthlessness because of that issue when I was 18 and I kept wanting that medal at the world championship to validate me. That's why mm. it put so much pressure on me. So for me, it was fear number two, but for everybody, it's one of those things. They affect, they affect all of us in a certain level. That's what I've seen at least. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I think like I, when you talk about this, I think I have a little bit of all of them, <laughs> you know, yeah. but um, it definitely is like, these are, this is stuff that, you know, you just don't, you don't, like see or are are here or or have that many people talking about this stuff like at least yeah. i i haven't like these are things that you have to be courageous to talk about especially um you know in this kind of like facade world we live in where people are just portraying something on social media of their best version they don't want to pull back the curtain and really address the truth of what is the fears that are holding them back and I think the world is craving that more and more of that authentic, real, unapologetic self. And that's really where the growth happens, too. Yeah. You know, um, this is phenomenal, man. Where, where can people go? I know you have your arena in your arena elite. Talk to us a little bit about what that looks like, because I'm sure some of the happy hustlers out there are like, hey, this guy, eat the mark. He's the real deal. Like, I want him to help me break down some of this for myself. Like, where can people go to learn more about you and what you offer? I, I appreciate that. Be, before I go into that, do you mind if I also share how I want to add something to what you were saying before? Please. Is that okay? So 
for me, it was that whole lack of awareness. This was an opportunity. This was a possibility looking at this part of the world, this part of how we operate. Like I was very, very fortunate, I think, to have a very close encounter with Al-Qaeda mm. and get to a level where I had some pretty severe PTSD that I had to deal with. Yeah. And that forced me to work with that head of psychology of the Mossad. Mm. And he was the one that was able to kind of like shed light and explain to me, this is kind of how your mind works. And this is what's going on with you. And this is why you feel this way. And this is why you're acting this way. Mm. I think for, for me, I was very privileged, honestly, to go through that crazy stuff because without it, I would have probably kept going along in life, but I wouldn't have hit that kind of level of awareness and everything that brings. So for that, yeah. I just want to say that it's like, it's, it's also, it's not available everywhere. And it's a shame. I agree with you. And I think beyond a lot of people willing to be vulnerable, it's just it's a lack of knowledge in the world. That's, that's very true. I do think like, it's a very complex topic at the, at its core. And you had, unfortunately, this exposure which do you mind? Is it classified or can we hear this story? <laughs> yeah. So it's not, so parts of it are, I'll tell what I can. So basically okay. as a part of my service in the agency, I was working undercover and I was in Mumbai, India, hmm. and I was in a role where basically every six or eight months you swap out the person conducting the role, but that position still stays in the field. And when you're working undercover abroad, you're not expected to just hold up in your room and not live a life. You can go out to restaurants, you can go out to the gym and work out, but you have to have certain confines. Obviously, you can't tell anybody why you're there. You can't get in people's cars. You have to keep up a cover and so on and so on. Now, somebody who I'd met at the local Gold's gym there, and every time we just randomly kind of meet up and we would hit the bags together and spar, uh, kickboxing, he was kind of friendly and we would just swap, we swapped numbers, but I kept everything in check with how it's supposed to be. And we would meet every once in a while to spar. We'd set it up. I'd always follow the rules. I never accepted a ride from him, never told him where I lived, never took it anything beyond just the gym. And it was during the 2010 uh, Soccer World Cup in the semifinals. He called me at halftime. He's like, hey, Edomar, my TV just broke down. Is there any chance me and my friend can watch the game at your place? And like, Mumbai has different cultural issues. So it's hmm. even though we weren't close, it wasn't a very weird ask. But yeah. I just said to him very clearly, like, no, there's a sports bar right next to the Golds. Go watch it over there. Have a good time. And he's like, oh, okay. He calls me two minutes later. He's like, hey, man, they're not showing the game at the Elba Room. Is there any chance we can please watch it at your place? We're really desperate. I said, no, man, it's not going to work. Have a good night. Maybe I'll call you next week and we can spar. He's like, oh, okay. Calls me two minutes later and he's like, hey, Demar, can we please watch the second half? We're really desperate to see it right beneath your house. I said, how do you know where I live? And as soon as that happened, I could feel like the, the hairs in the back of my neck spark up. And my flatmate, who was also an agent, heard my tone. And he looked at me and there was kind of silence on the phone. And the guy said, oh, oh, you told me once. And it was obvious to me that I would never, ever, ever tell anybody where I lived. I would always yeah. check that no one was following me back. I would never tell anybody where I lived. Yeah. And it was that moment that he kind of blew his cover. And mm. I told like I spoke into the phone. I said, okay, I know who you are. You know who I am. Like all the cards are in the deck. The call is yours. Basically, me and my flatmate got our gear on. I told my superiors what had happened. Um, within a couple of days, I was out of the country. And our head, um, our basically the Masada to share the embassy confirmed with the Indian FBI, which is the IBI. That was an Al-Qaeda cell. They had picked up the trace of my predecessor. And they were trying to kidnap me. And the whole goal with him getting out to our apartment was to kidnap me and everything that goes from there. Jeez. And, yeah. And I tried to compartmentalize that. As like a pretty young man, I didn't understand. I was like, you know what? This is just what happened. So my belief structure is that if anyone is not Israeli and I meet them abroad, 
they can endanger me. So as long as I don't interact with anyone who's not Israeli, when I'm abroad, I'm safe. Hmm. So what that led is to me having very extreme social anxieties where I wasn't able to connect with anyone while I was traveling and doing jujitsu and so on. And when I finally met Israeli people abroad and after like seven years of not being able to make any new friends, I told them, oh, I think I'm able to connect with you guys because you're Israeli and I had this thing with Al-Qaeda. One of them said, Itamar, that's not normal. <laughs> you have some issues. And he was, <laughs> he was an entrepreneur that I really respected and he was a family man. He had like a lot of values that I appreciated. And he said to me, Itamar, like, I've gotten help for my stuff. This is definitely something that is valid for you to get help with. And I think as a young man, I felt that my story was, it sounds stupid, but for lack of better words, at that time, I felt like it was extreme enough or alpha enough. It was valid for me to seek help. Mm-hmm. And that's when I got in touch with the head of psychology of the Mossad. And what was very interesting is that at the time I started to work with him, I had absolutely zero awareness that all that stuff in the military created this fear of worthlessness in myself. I had Mm. no idea that was rattling as well. I just thought it was the Al-Qaeda thing. I remember my first session, was like, what happened? I almost got connected by Al-Qaeda. I have social anxieties. I want to work on it. Only after we uncovered that and he started flushing out the rest of how I view the world, I recognized, oh, wow, this is why I've not been able to connect with anybody. This Mm. is why I've pulled myself back so much. Yeah, And that to me was why I say I was fortunate because if that wouldn't have happened, I would have never uncovered all that stuff that happened at 18 years old. They really messed with me. Yeah, man. Woo. Well, I'm glad you're with us still. And uh, likewise, damn, <laughs> damn, dude, that that is some some crazy thing. Like my I got a little chills thinking about that. That's, you know, that's the reality of that that world, you know, the undercover agent and, and obviously the military. Mm-hmm. And I and I know it happens. But knowing your story now personally and, and you, it's it's definitely puts it in perspective and I can understand how PTSD happens. And I think people don't even understand like PTSD isn't just like a military thing too. Like PTSD happens from all sorts of things. It could be a bad relationship. It could be your parents. It could be, you know, any number of occurrences from a bar fight to, you know, not like having success in business like that that's the thing can i add something how small it can be yeah i've seen eight figure ceos that are afraid to do something big and when you get down to the really root of what's going on there they're like oh in second grade i was made fun of once yeah and and that's the thing that's stopping them from taking their that that one incident yeah and i think that's like and i love the fact that you're saying and i appreciate that because i also don't want to I don't want this to be in some way taken as, oh, I had something really extreme. So it was valid for me to look at it. Yeah. It's like, honestly, I wasn't aware enough and I wasn't courageous enough to say, I don't have to have something this extreme to actually take care of myself. Yeah. And get after this. Exactly. It's like, for me, like I needed that excuse that this was like alpha enough, which is stupid in order to actually address it. And I think yeah. it's much better just to, this is not a perfect fit. So I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to actually address this. Yeah. It doesn't have to be big. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that is, you know, why people need to work on this stuff. And that's why I, I do want to, you know, kind of bring up how you work on this. And and if you would just tell people where they can go if they did want to work on this and, and what the arena is, in, entails. Please. Okay. So the easiest way to go is just to go to the website, edomarmarani.com. Um, if you want to see it, go over it, goes.com slash apply. Um, basically what it is, a six week program. We try to take people through all the stuff that I learned from the head of psychology of the Mossad, but in a very systematized fashion. Hmm. So we try to really do the 80, 20 of the 80, 20 of it with a focus on results. The focus 
of the program is not to make you feel better while you're doing the program. It is to create a sustainable long-term change. And the way we do that is first, we get people really clear on what they want and then how they need to actually change. Like, okay, this is what you want. So how do you need to change? Forget about what are your current top values and what do you really connect with? What do you need to start valuing in life? As a CEO, do you need to start lever valuing leverage more or outsourcing, whatever it may be? And then what are very clear rules that you can say, if I live by these rules, I have indeed lived out these values. Hmm. And in theory, like that would be enough if we were computers. But then it gets into that whole part of what we talked about this whole hour, how we hold ourselves back, the human factor. Yeah. So after we're very clear on where you want to go and how you need to get there, then we figure out, okay, what are your unconscious, subconscious things that are holding you back? We flush that out. Like you said, make the whole subconscious conscious. Then yeah. we started falsifying it and saying, are these actual facts or are these just things that you believe to be true? Just your beliefs. Can hmm. you start to let go with them? And all of a sudden we remove a lot of that weight. So that when you're about to do the things that you know you should be doing, your emotions don't get the best of you. You can actually execute on them. Yeah. Then on top of that, we start really going deeper and say, okay, like, what do you need to remove from your life? And this is the hard thing. Like, not what more can you add to get more motivated, but what are the hard things that you need to remove from your life? Maybe mm -hmm. there are some behaviors that you're exhibiting. Maybe there are some people, whether in your life or in your company, that you just feel obligated to, but you guys are not heading in the same direction in life. Mm -hmm. And we ask those hard questions and we take people through this six week, very intense process where the end of it, the goal is not for them to have had more success right now, but to really change their trajectory beyond obviously the, the success they have in the container. Yeah. Wow. And, and that's, you know, that's the, the difference when you do the deep work, it sets you up for sustainable long-term success, right? It's not like, you know, that get rich quick scheme or six minute abs, you know, it's like, right. no, sometimes you got to go back to go forward. Right. And yeah. that's, that's the beautiful thing. So check that out, guys, itamarmarani.com forward slash apply. If you want to, you know, go deeper, we'll link it all up in the show notes. Itamar, I like to ask all of my guests a couple different questions and then a rapid fire round. And, and then we Please. will wrap this interview up. So this is, you know, something I call a happy hustle hack, will you? Like a tip, a tool, a tactic in a couple different arenas. First being health. I know you're shredded. You, you know, you take health very seriously. What is something maybe that you do that's a little unique in the health in the health realm that maybe we could deem a happy hustle hack? Ooh, what do I do that's unique? So I think what I do the unique that I don't try to do anything unique. I just do the basics and I don't try to get fancy. <laughs> yeah. And that's just fair it. enough. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that's it. The basics work. What is something when it comes to money, you know, a happy hustle hack in this arena? I, you know, I know you made money. I know you've lost money. I know, you know, we, we all have, um, do you have maybe something that you do to save or invest or spend one uh, wisely when it comes to money that we could deem a happy hustle hack? Yeah, so I like to spend money on something that if I could never show anybody that I have it, I would still want to spend money on. So I don't mm. wear a watch, for example, like I don't care about that stuff, but I fly business class. Why? Because I like to fly business class and I like when I'm going to a conference to arrive the next day and feel fresh. Yeah. I don't post about it on my social media. But I think that's a bit of a rule that served me really well. Like if I couldn't announce it, if no one can know about this, would I still want to spend this money on this thing? And aside from that, I would highly, highly recommend the book of the psychology of money. Great book about mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. What about spirituality? You know, 
for me, I, I believe in a higher power. I think it's important to have faith in something bigger than yourself. I don't care what anyone believes in, in terms of one religion or another. I just think it's important to have faith in something. What is your um, happy hustle hack when it comes to spirituality? Maybe something that you do to connect to a higher power. I like to be in the ocean a lot. I spend probably an hour or an hour and a half a day in the ocean. That's oh. why we, I live where I live. Yeah. I mean, for me, that just being away from everything and just kind of being in the middle there, it's, it does something where it just calms me in a way that nothing else can. Yeah. And for me, for some people, it's walking in nature for, for me, just being in the water. It just yeah. does amazing things to me. Yeah. That's me in the wilderness, but, uh, I do love the ocean too. You know, I'm yeah. down here in Florida right now and I was just in the ocean. I'm like, damn, this is nice. <laughs> you know, just the yeah. energy. I love those. Those are great. Let's put you through the rapid fire round. So this is where I basically just ask you random things and you answer honestly. First thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. Favorite food. Go. Burger. Favorite movie. Ooh. I don't know. First thing that Favorite came to mind. I want to say Godfather. Okay. Well, that's cliche, but that's probably yeah, that it. Favorite book. Gates of Fire. Easy. What's your spirit animal? Jaguar. Best business advice. Don't do stupid shit and just keep doing good stuff. <laughs> I love it. Three things you're most grateful for. Grateful for the life that I have now. I'm grateful for my wife and my kid, the family. And I'm just grateful for having gone through what I've gone through and the ability to go forward in life with a certain level of awareness. Mm, yeah. Love that. And if you had a billboard for the world to see with your last piece of content on it, what's that billboard read? Feelings are in fact. Mm. Crush that rapid fire round, man. And <laughs> Itamar, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, brother, for sharing your love, your light, your wisdom, your, your emotional fortitude, and your like very very powerful work in this arena just from going through you know the course and some of your work and even just talking to you today like I, I I feel a different level of knowing thyself and I think that's really what you help uncover and I just want to say thank you for for sharing that with us and and thank you for your work man I appreciate the kind words and thank you for having me and for what you're doing honestly Awesome, man. Now go ahead and tell best place for people to connect with you online as well. And, um, you know, maybe just like a call to action when it comes to, you know, what you really hope to leave the happy hustlers with. Yeah. So easiest place to find, especially if you like listening to podcasts, go to the emotional fortitude podcast. That's where we break down little case studies. We say, okay, this is this entrepreneur this is where he was, this is where he started. This is where he got to. And these are the exact steps that he used. You can use them as well. And sometimes we break it down ourselves. Sometimes we actually have the person on to break it down with us. So first off, that's the easiest place to find and really get sucked in. Other than that, at Edomar Morani, at all the major Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and the major thing I would leave everybody with is, I would ask yourself this following question. Where am I creating some emotional complexity? Sorry, some technical complexity? because I'm feeling something uncomfortable. And mm. is that feeling something that I have to succumb to? Can I first shave it down by falsifying and figuring out what's going on there? And two, even if it is uncomfortable after I shave it down, do I have to wait until it doesn't feel bad anymore? Sometimes things are just a little bit uncomfortable. And even though we can make them as less uncomfortable as possible, we can't just wait for everything to be grand and comfortable. It's not how life is. Mm. 
Well said. Final question. What does happy hustling mean to you? Being able to do it on a sustainable basis. So I think hustling where people burn themselves out and then they go on a two-week meditation retreat or a yoga retreat, that's not happy hustling. That's as you're trying to go from one extreme to another. Being yeah. able to do it on a consistent basis where you're able to appreciate the journey while you're going for big things, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Amen. Mic drop. Itamar Marani, y'all. Thank you for watching and listening. We are out. Peace and love. Real quick, y'all, I want to share with you something that is making a very positive impact on my physical health, as well as my mental health, but more so my physical health, because I really believe that you have to detox your body. You have to sweat those toxins out regularly in order to be optimized, in order to actually happy hustle your blissful balance and your dream reality. And one of the ways that I actually detox my body is from my Therasage infrared portable and affordable 360 plus sauna. This thing is my go-to. I love it because it's actually affordable and it is portable. And it actually is made by a family-owned company that stands behind their products. And the best part is you actually get the hookup for watching and listening to the Happy House podcast, you can just go to theirsage.com and you can just type in code HAPPY and it will actually save you over 10% on everything store-wide, but specifically the sauna. And the good thing about the sauna is it actually burns calories. So you just sit on your bum, you can burn calories, you can decrease the inflammation in your body, which a lot of dis-ease stems from, and you can increase the blood flow circulation, which... I'll just tell you there's a ton more benefits, but those three in and of itself are worth your while. So you guys check it out, Therasage, that's T-H-E-R-A-S-A-G-E.com, and then use code HAPPY to save yourself some money. And they got a bunch of holistic healing products on their site, but I'm just referencing this Thera 360 Plus sauna. I have the black one, love it. And uh, the cool thing is also you actually... You know, you have hand holes where you can stick your hands in. So you could be working on your laptop or reading and your head protrudes. So your brain doesn't swell. A lot of like other saunas that, you know, the dry saunas, like at the gym, potentially, um, if you have one in your gym, you know, it's like a hot rocks. Those actually swell your brain over time and have detrimental effects. And given my current brain injury from the CO poisoning, I'm really glad my head is actually protruding from the heat zone in this Therasage sauna. So that's another reason why I love it. You guys check it out again, therasage.com, and then use code HAPPY to save. Now let's get back to this episode. Real quick, I just want to share with you something that is near and dear to my heart. See, as a proud American, when I heard this stat, I was floored. 22 veterans actually take their own lives every single day, according to the Department of Veteran Affairs. And that's 22 too many. So the cause of veteran suicide prevention is one in which I am just all behind with all my might. And I think you should be as well. And that is why my friend, Mr. William Brandon, 26-year Navy SEAL veteran, started the company Naked Warrior Recovery. And it was created with the clear initiative to develop premium products to support physical and mental recovery through innovation and excellence. And two of my favorite products from Naked Warrior Recovery is Navy SEAL CBD Energy Drink, 
This stuff helps with energy and focus. It has 75 milligrams of caffeine, kind of like a cup of coffee, but it has 12.5 milligrams of CBD. And we're not talking just any CBD. We're talking premium quality, USDA, organic grown CBD. See, they are actually third party tested. They're veteran owned and operated, and they come with a money back guarantee plus free shipping. And this is my go-to pre-workout lately. I got to say, it really is delicious and nutritious, and it gets you going. As well as Naked Warrior Recovery's Cool Recovery Muscle and Joint Rub. And this stuff is really great after a hard workout or after a long hike. You can put it on you know, those sore spots, and it really helps your body recovery. So you guys actually get the hookup for watching and listening to Happy Hustle. You can go to NW Recovery and use code HAPPY to save yourself some moolah off of not just the Navy SEAL CBD energy drinks, not just the muscle and joint rub, but everything on their website. And you got to just love the mission behind NW Recovery. Actually, they donate a portion of their proceeds to fight veteran suicide and just increase the prevention of this terrible tragedy. So go to nakedwarriorrecovery.com, use code HAPPY, save yourself some money, get some great products and support an amazing cause today. All right, now let's get back to this episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Happy Hustle Podcast. I truly am so grateful that you took the time out of your busy day to spend time with me. Now, if you got any value from this episode or any episodes in the past, it would mean the world to me if you could please leave a five-star review and share this episode with your friends so we can continue to spread this message. Guys, as always, it's been a blast. Now go out there and happy hustle for your dream reality. Yeah.